Hello and good evening and welcome to the latest episode of the Magicast. I'm your host Scott Monroe. We are doing another Roma Retro Pod and with me tonight I've got James. How are we? Fine, thank you. And we've got Daniel. How are we? Very well, thank you. Thank you for both for joining me tonight. We were going to have Imran, but Imran's a bit busy with work, and he is joining on the second part of this pod because he has some interesting stories to talk about. But we are going to talk about a decade for Roma, and we are doing a, a two-parter on AS Roma in the 1990s. Um, and to start off, uh, James, you really wanted to talk about the 88-89 season to start off with, and then we can go into the season probably to end on the 95-96 season. Yes, um, because the the 90s is sort of often looked at by Roma fans who remember it as not uh, as, uh, as a pretty, as like dark days, you know, not, not a a, a very happy decade, uh, which is largely true with some, you know, some notable exceptions, but, um, and the 80s, uh, on the contrary, were seen as um, a really uh, one of the high points. In fact, probably the high point in the club's history, um, having won the third Scud- second Scudetto, sorry, in 1983, and then reaching the uh, European Champions Cup final the following year, infamously lost to Liverpool on penalties at the Olympico. And um, but then and then we were still um, I think we finished second, like in 1986. Um, a bit, uh, a bit unfortunate, and we had some great coaches like Niels Liedholm and uh, the two Swedes, Niels Liedholm and Sven Goran Eriksson, young Sven Goran Eriksson, who were playing very traditionally played very like, progressive um, attacking football, and um, and then 1988-89, uh, which is the season that I became a Roma fan during that season, um, was seen it was a bit of a turning point in the club's history because it marked the downward trend. That um, that uh, went through on throughout most of the nineteen nineties before the recovery towards the end of that decade in the club's fortunes. And in nineteen eighty eight eighty nine, ironically, uh, there was quite a big transfer market um, pulled off by the president Dino Viola, um, who had been president for quite quite a while. He wasn't actually a Roman, actually, but he was remembered very fondly by Roma fans. And um, he brought in um, two Brazilians, Andrade and Renato Portaluppi. And I remember reading an article about Renato Portaluppi that, uh, just before he arrived, uh, branding him a potential uh, king of the king of the next king of Rome. Uh, unfortunately, he was a big flop, and it's often like seen as like uh, you know, if a transfer foreign transfer transfer of a foreign player who was much hyped doesn't live up to the hype. Some people say, oh, he's like Renato Portaluppi because he came with a big reputation, big hopes, and was more or less a complete flop. Um, so uh, so that season, yeah, um, there was not much success, no success in the Cup. And of course, traditionally, Roma had been very strong in the Coppa Italia. And in European competition, reached the third round of the UEFA Cup where we lost home and away to... Dynamo Dresden, who reached the semi-finals in the end. Uh, of course, this is still the time of the Iron Curtain and playing games in, uh, you know, in the Iron Curtain, like East Germany, Dynamo Dresden represented, and um, 
And in the league, we managed to kind of uh, stumble into a European qualifying position, but not entirely ourselves. So we shared it with Fiorentina and there was a playoff in uh, Perugia, I remember, at the end of that season, which we lost. Uh, no, so what was that? Uh, season uh, Yeah, and uh, yes, which we lost. And I think Giannini, who was the, of course, legendary uh, club captain, Giuseppe Giannini, uh, who, who was the captain by this time, uh, he um, he was sent off in that game and we lost it 1-0. So we didn't have European club competition the following season, 89-90. But um, Niels Liedholm actually lost his job. He was the, he'd returned to coach Roma at the start of that season. And um, he lost his job. And uh, the, I remember the Primavera coach, whose name you might be able to remind me of, Luciano Spinozzi. Yeah, that's right. He he succeeded him. He was a Primavera coach, and um, uh, of course, also it was to, against the backdrop that season. If you ever see games from that season, it was against the backdrop of the reconstruction of the Olimpico. So the Olimpico was re, was being reconstructed for the nineteen ninety World Cup, and um, and it was finished with about a day to spare, <laughs> but. Uh, um, and the fact the following season, um, and it was also, I mean, that that team, 88-89, featured some quite legendary Roma players from the 80s, uh, notwithstanding the general poor season. Uh, Franco Tancredi, the goalkeeper, who played in the 1984 Scudetto season and the, the run to the uh, European uh, final in 84. Um, Sebastiano Nella, who's often cited now as a pundit on Italian television. Um, so there were, um, you know, quite famous Giannini, obviously. And Rudy Voller, who so he was, he was uh, the West Germany striker who won the World Cup uh, a couple of years later with West Germany in 1990. He, he, um, he was uh, uh, in the squad. So, um, you know, there were some really... Uh, there were some, you know, quite uh, distinguished players. But uh, And then the following season, as I say, we weren't in Europe that season, 1989-90. We, um, we had to play all our home games, as did Lazio, at the um, Stadio Flamino. In fact, the first that was the first season, 88-89, that Lazio had been in Serie A for a while. And I remember that the derby, the first derby, Lazio won it 1-0 with a goal by... Um, uh, Paolo Di Canio and uh, he I think, I think it was Paolo Di Canio scored and celebrating in front of the Curva Sud which was <laughs> a bit provocative but um, the following season Lazio and Roma both had to play at the Stadio Flamino for anyone who's familiar with Rome it's across the River Tiber and um, uh, and while the Olimpico was finished for the World Cup at the end of that season and uh, so our, our capacity was obviously much reduced. And um, uh, so, um, and Luigi, uh, Luigi Radici, he was the coach for that season. It wasn't a particularly memorable season in, in, in any way, but we did manage to um, uh, get a UEFA Cup place at the end of that season. So we did return to European competition. 
Sorry, I had my microphone muted. Should we talk about 1990-91? Excuse me, which turned out to be a a pretty good year-ish with the Coppa Italia win, the UEFA Cup runners-up, but ninth in Serie A. um, Remember, this was the year of of two points per game, where um, I think it was up until 94-95 where in Serie A where it was actually just three points a game. I think Juventus won the first Serie A with that. I think James, you said off pod, it was the due to the world cup in 1994 yes, that they used, did the three. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, 1991, um, Roma got to the final of the uh, UEFA cup and won the Coppa Italia. I beat Sampdoria in the Coppa Italia final, but the run to the UEFA cup, we were talking a bit about it off pod on Monday was quite entertaining. So they beat Benfica, beat Valencia, beat Bordeaux, beat Anderlecht, a game in the semi-final, they beat Bromby and that was Peter Schmeichel in goal for Bromby at the time, but then lost to Inter Milan in the final 2-1 on, uh, this is the era of two legs. Yes, the final two legs then in the UEFA Cup. Yeah. And I think all the way through to about 96, 97. Seven, yeah. And then then it went to a single uh, match final. And, um, yeah, we got to the UEFA Cup final, which we we beat Benfica in the first round, which was like the tie of the round, Roma-Benfica. And then uh, progressed through, had a big 5-0 win over Bordeaux at home in the third round. Mm. And then... um, Picked up again in the quarterfinals and the semi final in particular was very memorable. Drew nil nil. We're under the cosh. Probably a little bit like Roma Vitesse Arnhem Roma, the first leg in Holland the other week when we were under the cosh for a lot of the game and uh, managed to leave without conceding a goal. And it was the same in that game in Denmark. You know, Bromby had uh, lots. I remember Bromby had lots of chances and. seen highlights and uh, we managed to take them back to the Olympico but of course that was of course people remember the away goal rule was in operation so we had to win the game really and it was 1-1 going right into the closing stages and uh, there was a bit of a scramble in the penalty area and we managed to score past Peter Schmeichel to win the game 2-1 to reach the final and that was our last European final 31 years ago um, and we played Inter in the final. We had a disappointing first leg, lost 2 0 at San Siro. And although we beat them 1 0 at the Olympico, wasn't enough, and we lost 2 1 on aggregate. And Inter won the UEFA Cup, which they won at least two or three times in the, during the course of the 1990s. Um, but. Um, yeah, they, they won it with. Uh, didn't they win it with Ronaldo? Up yeah, front for them in the late nineties. Yeah, that was the first. I think it was nineteen ninety eight. That was the first. Nineteen ninety eight was the first single game in the UEFA Cup final between Lazio and mm. Inter and Paris, and uh, that was the season that Ottavio Bianchi started uh, working on the Roma bench. He was the coach for two seasons, and he was, he was quite a distinguished coach in uh, Italy and Serie A, and. Um, so, uh, so yeah, that was definitely the highlight. And then, of course, actually, um, he did say, I remember after the UEFA Cup final, yes, we've lost, but our season isn't finished. And then we won the uh, Coppa Italia. That was a game played over two legs uh, against Sampdoria. Um, so there was silverware 
you know, we won a trophy at the end of that season. Um, so, yeah, so in some ways it was a memorable season, yeah. I'm just looking who the referee was in that game. Um, I think both me and Daniel might in, enjoy this. Pierluigi Pyretto was the referee in that in that game. And his son's also a referee in this in this season, Serie A. Yes, yes, that's right. Yes, he was a distinguished referee. He refereed the Euro '96 final. Yeah, he did. He, wasn't he caught up in the Calciopoli he was, scandal? Yeah, he was. He was caught up in that. Yeah. Jeez, yeah. that's a yeah. podcast for another day. Um, Daniel, I was going to bring you in. Have you managed to? Because oh, this is before our time before our like these oh, I think this might have been just before you were born. Have you managed to watch any like footage of Roma in the nineteen nineties on a on YouTube or anything like that? Yeah, I mean I've watched the watch kind of the extended clips of the uh the final, the UEFA Cup final mm. and um I don't know if it's correct or not, but I remember uh was it Rizzi Telly, the striker? Um I think he was quite young at the time and I remember watching highlights of the second leg of that UEFA Cup final and thinking, I think he tried, I think he did score, but um, throughout that game, I, I remember him having quite a few chances and I remember Roma being like just close a lot of the times, but just not quite enough and it being quite a frustrating performance in the end. Um, and it's a shame because uh, as James mentions, it was our last European Cup final. So um yeah, a bit of a shame that we didn't win that and maybe put to bed some of the uh, the nightmares from 1984. But um, is yeah. an interesting character because he also joined Roma. And, um, he still actually often uh, works in the Italian media. In fact, he was working on Roma Channel up until uh, I know at least a couple of years ago. But he he um he joined Roma at the start of that 1988-89 season as well uh, and he was a big transfer came from Cesena and um he and what's interesting here of course you're looking at several players who stayed at a club for a long time you know generally in those days players did as a rule not always but as a rule they tended to stay for longer perhaps than they do today yeah the transfer market wasn't as dynamic hmm. so they're not chasing the money. I imagine money, the wages, is was a lot different to oh, what yeah. it is nowadays. Nowadays, in the big five leagues, it's mega bucks. I imagine a lot, probably, probably about 20 years ago, is probably a lot different to what it is now. Like, back in the 90s, it's probably a fraction what it is now. Um, I'm just trying to think, because that's the season where sadly Dino Viola sadly passed away and the, the 30th anniversary was last year. He was Roma president. And then he had the Giuseppe, is it Chiarapico? Yes, right. Yeah, who, um, I was reading stuff about it earlier, <laughs> was the president of from Roma from 91 to 93 and he was convicted and imprisoned several times due to his involvement in financial scandals. And then Roma was in... Uh, was it Roberto Santi took charge in the middle of 1993? So that would have been the 92-93 season. And then uh, when he sadly passed away, uh, he was in charge. And then it was, was it Rosella Sensi took over then? Yeah, Franco Sensi, yeah. Oh, Franco Sensi, yeah, sorry. Yeah, that's right. Yes, uh, Giuseppe Cherapico was known as the Mineral Water King. I think that's where he made his fortune <laughs> in mineral water, which is oh, wow. very popular in Italy, yeah, drinking mineral water. And, um, uh, yeah, he came in and... Uh, and then there was a big, actually, 
um, there was uh, that that was interesting because in the 1992-93 season which started, I was quite optimistic because um, uh, I got a new coach, so Otavio Bianchi left, and Vyudin Boskov, who had won the Scudetto with Sampdoria, featuring the likes of uh, Attila Lombardo, Gianluca Viali, and Roberto Mancini, and Gianluca Pagliuca, I think was the goalkeeper then, um, who all played for Italy um, in 1991. And he came in 1992, and we uh, we bought Claudio Canigia that summer from Atalanta, who uh, was came with really big hopes, mm. and because um, he played for Argentina, of course, in the World Cup in 1990, Italy, and um, and uh, but the season just uh, and of course we'd we'd acquired a couple of years before Aldair from Benfica, um, so Aldair came in 1990. First European game was playing against Benfica. <laughs> oh, wow. He went on to be, you know, a historic figure in Roma's uh, history, uh, probably overall, not just in that that decade. And um, and yeah, so we had a torrid season, nineteen ninety two, ninety three, where things, even though we had players like Thomas Hassler, Giannini, uh, Volner had gone then, so we had Kanija, we, you know, um, uh, so we had some really excellent players, but. Um, uh, um, it just didn't come together, and um, and uh, I remember towards the end of that season, nineteen ninety two, ninety three, being really worried because the um, when Giuseppe Cherapico was arrested, I think, and then couldn't run the club, and uh, the Italian Football Federation put the club into liquidation because of financial problems, oh, and wow. there was talk of. Um, I can remember hearing radio reports. There was talk of a mass subscription among Roma fans to save the club, and uh, or and then I remember Giuseppe Cherapico released a statement saying, "You know, uh, don't worry, uh, I'm going to come, I'm going to come back and save the club." And eventually, Franco Sensi saved the club and um, came in in the spring summer of 1993. Became the president, as you said, and uh, put you know managed to. Keep, you know, uh, rescue the club, and even actually invest in it that summer because we we bought um, uh, Balbo Fonseca. Yeah, uh, no, Fonseca came the following year. Balbo, oh, following year, yeah, ninety four, yeah. ninety five. My apologies. Right. Yeah, Balbo. Yeah, Balbo, who was a top scorer, I think, in Capo Canonieri the previous season from Udinese. And in fact, at the end of ninety two, ninety three, although it was a torrid season in many ways, didn't qualify for Europe. The following season, we did reach the Copper Italia final. Uh, we got knocked out by Borussia Dortmund in the quarterfinals of the UEFA Cup. So even though what was really interesting is, even though we were not doing particularly well in the league in terms of we weren't a powerhouse, we could still do very well in Europe, which was testimony to how strong Serie A was during the 1990s, which was its golden era on the back of uh, Italy's great economic miracle of the 1980s. Um, and uh, we um, we lost one nil on aggregate to Borussia Dortmund. We reached the final of the UEFA Cup in nineteen ninety three. Lost to Juventus, and then we reached the final of the Coppa Italia, where we lost to Torino. And that was an incredible two incredible games. We were smashed three nil in the first leg in uh, Turin at the Delle Alpi, and then the following week we. Uh, 
return, played the return leg at the Olimpico, and we won 5-2. And Janini um, hit the post very late on. And um, I think we had about two or three penalties in the second leg. But, um, but three. So we, it was 5-3, right. So that's 5-5 yeah. on aggregate, and we lost on the away goal rule. So yeah. uh, another Giannini, final that was lost, I'm afraid. Giannini scored a hat-trick of penalties. Uh, Rizzatelli scored one, and uh, Sinisa Mihailovic. And then... Um, yeah, Sinisa it, Mihailovic, of course, had come in 1992. Yeah. And he was and, fantastic, particularly... Uh, well, generally, he was a fantastic player, but winger, very talented. But he was great. Best free-kick taker, one of the best free-kick takers. Yeah, without doubt. Yeah, yeah the, the Nottingham Forest legend, Andreas Lenzi, um, scored two for Torino and they won on uh, on 5-5 five, five on away goals. Um, you were talking to me and Daniel off pod uh, earlier that you went to the first game of the season against Pescara in Rome in 1992. We joked, um, me and Daniel, so what was the difference between now and then? Um, I, you said there's no difference. Not much. <laughs> get, no. Not an awful lot because the Olympico has changed a little bit. but A little, yeah. Yeah, but not, not significantly. So, um, and I remember there was a big crowd there, about 60,000 that day. So, yeah, yeah, it's a great, great occasion for me. Also, to both of you, um, 28th of March, 1993, three days ago was the 29th anniversary of this. It was Francesco Totti's debut away at Brescia, Roma won 2 0. Little did we know what career he would have at Roma because it was started off slow. And then he was almost sold in 1997, I think, on loan to Sampdoria. Then Carlo Mazzoni wanted him on loan at Cadere. Imagine if that happened. And he, he became the king of Rome. Um, Roma won that day 2-0 away at Brescia. Claudio Canigia and Snisa Mihailovic scored. Hit Totti, I think he was given the captaincy when he was, what, 22, 23? I think in the, in the late 90s. He was given the number 10 shirt. Did you both know then if if he would become the star that he did? I think what's interesting for me is that I obviously I started following Roma in the um, probably in the mid two thousands, but when I look back and and look at his start, sometimes I don't remember that it was quite um, gradual. You know, mm. I think in his second season he only had maybe ten appearances in all competitions, so. Uh, I didn't realize it was such a slow, um, um, let's say, build-up to it. But, I mean, obviously, like you mentioned, they became captain quite young. And, and once it did get going, I think it was quite evident. But, um, I don't know, I guess, James, I don't know, when you saw him for the first time. Right, so you... so it's actually, it was Vyudin Boskov who gave him his name. Yeah. Did, right, didn't okay. Sinisa Mihailovic say something? He saw him in the Primavera squad saying, and we've got a player here, you better call him up. Oh right, really? That's interesting. I think it was. I think that was in the Totti documentary. Yeah, <laughs> that was on last year. Right, because um, yeah, I, I can remember vaguely people talking about him as like there's a, a really special player, you know. But I didn't really think too much more about it, you know, because Serie A there were special players every in virtually every team uh, uh, at that time, and uh, it was unquestionably you know the, the best. Uh, Champions League championship in the world, and um, so I didn't think too much of it at the time. But then, when I began to see highlights of his, um, you know, uh, as time passed, and sort of as Daniel mentioned, they started to get some more appearances. 
you know, it became evident quite quickly that there was a major talent on our hands, you know. I was. <clears throat> I think we can talk about this in the next part of the pod. But wasn't there, there was a quad? Uh, was, was it a triangular tournament with Ajax, Roma, Borussia Mönchengladbach, and there was a deal done between Roma and Ajax with Yari Litmanen and Totti or something going the other way. But Totti had a, a really good tournament, and then they were thinking, "No, he's he's one of our own. We're keeping him." And as they say, the rest is history. Indeed, yeah. Yeah, they were just, just. It was just. Imagine if they sold him to Sampdoria or or to Carlo Mazzoni's calorie side. That was just. That would have been peak Roma. It would have been very, very strange, and he could have had a different pathway to his career. But we were quite lucky in a way that um, you know when you think back about it, you, we we transitioned or we were quite lucky to have um, Di Bartolome, then Giannini, then mm. Totti, De Rossi. Mm. You know, we had quite a good string there of. Roman captains, you know, one after another. And, um, well, I guess also Pellegrini now, maybe. Um, but Aquilani as well, in between. Aquilani. So, so there's been, we've been quite lucky to have that, like, flow of, uh, of talent, at least. But, I mean, I don't know, James, I wanted to ask you that, you know, in the beginning, when, when we started the 90s, you know, you would have been, the 80s were, were probably our best decade at Roma. And um, at the 90s, you could have been forgiven for being quite optimistic moving into it. No, and uh, we had a relatively young squad in the beginning of the 90s. And um, I think what I wanted to say is that, you know, when I look back and see the results and the league positions of those early 90s, it seemed really chaotic and a bit like we seemed a bit like a, a flip-flopping team, you know. Um, but I also thought that there seemed to be also a bit an instability in the in the strikers. Um, you mentioned the Kanija was signed and, and didn't really come to much. But it seemed that after, I mean, we had many seasons of Pruzzo scoring, you know, I think he was Capo Canoniere once or twice in the 80s. But we had a few seasons in a row there of having either Pruzzo and then Vola. And then in the early 90s seemed to dry up a bit. And maybe that coincided as well with our performance in the league and until we kind of really discovered maybe Totti and... I guess Balbo as well. I don't know how highly. Yeah, well, I think part him. of the problem was Claudio Canigia didn't work out because he really came with a huge expectations. And uh, I was at that first his debut for us in Serie A, and I can remember people walking around with flags, Canigia goal, and this sort of thing, and um, uh, so much excitement. And of course, he just didn't really materialise in in the way we hoped for such a you know, a charismatic and, and um, high-profile player who, who, who was, um, you know, such a big player in, in for Argentina in 1990. He played in 94 as well. And um, he was, you know, a ten, you know, he was, well, he had the talent to be a world-class player. And um, when we were an erratic team, I mean, we could win well one week and lose sort of um, really quite meekly the next. I mean, you could say this season... <laughs> Not much has changed, but in all those years. But um, and but but what was noticeable, of course, was the strong performance in the cup competitions in Europe and in the Coppa Italia. And um, but yeah, definitely. Um, I think when Abel Balbo came on the scene, then we got that reliable striker, and he was he wasn't injured very much. Abel Balbo, from my memory, you know, he played lots of games, scored lots of goals, mm. and then. In um, when Carlo Mazzoni came on the scene, um, he wasn't the most uh, 
progressive coach, you could say. He was quite pragmatic. And, uh, and then in 1994, we signed Daniel Fonseca from uh, Napoli. And you have, we invested quite a bit that summer because we bought Jonas Turn, the captain, who's captain Sweden, to the World Cup bronze medal in 1994 from Napoli as well to play in our midfield. And um, Fonseca and Balbo were just like, they were fantastic together. Played such a pity it didn't last very long. I got best part of two seasons, but they were terrific playing together. Really entertaining to watch, and um, and uh, I think they got on well up on the field and off the field. And uh, uh, but um, and things, you know, that was the start of the with with one or two exceptions, the start of the recovery in our fortunes. You know, we were able to push into regularly qualifying for the UEFA Cup. And, uh, of course, that was still the era when only the champions played in the, what became, what was the, by then, actually, the Champions League. So, um, so, and noticeably, you know, what's really interesting as well is most of our transfers was from Serie A. So if you think, in 1994, mm. we bought Enrico Anoni from Torino, the right-back. We bought Fonseca from Napoli, Jonas Turn from Napoli, Francesco Statuto from Udinese, a midfielder, um, uh, Massimiliano Capioli from Cagliari. So you could see most of the transfers, We most of them either came, you know, came from Serie A, the old one from South America. Um, Can I ask you about Kanija? Because he then, I think in his first season, sorry to digress and not jump season ahead, he then failed a drugs test and cocaine in the system and then was suspended for 13 months, then went to, was it Benfica um, in Portugal? And then I think he, he went to different clubs as well across uh, across Europe. And he even ended up in Scotland for... Um, so he ended up back at Boca Juniors, then Atalanta, then Dundee Rangers, and then Qatar. Um, I imagine that hit the club very hard with him failing the drugs test and then missing 13 months. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, and, and that was in the spring, I think, of 1993. Three, yeah. Because it happened, he said, the reason he gave for that was, um, I think it was at a party and he took the cocaine because he was so depressed after we got knocked out of the UEFA Cup by Borussia Dortmund. We'd drawn the first leg in the quarterfinals, nil-nil at the Olympico. And then we lost... One nil in Dortmund. I think it was one nil in Dortmund. And uh, Silvano Benedetti, who we bought from Torino the previous summer to partner Aldo in central defence, he hit the crossbar with a header. We were really close to going through to the semi-finals, and uh, I think that was uh, uh, he. He gave that as the reason. I think that he was he was so down after losing that quarter-final that he took the cocaine and it showed up in his system on a doping test and uh, you know he got that suspension and I remember he was quite he panicked quite a bit because the World Cup was then only 15 months away mm. and I remember he gave an interview and said uh, Kanija must be there <laughs> and uh, he and he, of course he did make it to the World Cup um, uh, and played for Argentina with Balbo, with Balbo actually and uh, Batistuta and Maradona that was some attack <laughs> Yeah, and so I'm sorry, sorry, Dan. Go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off there. Oh no, I mean that's um, 
That's quite interesting from to hear from James because what I wanted to kind of kind of ask you is that when I when you see like videos of Carlo Mazzone and um, you hear about him, he's obviously very. I mean, a lot of it's about um, he's quite a character, you know. But mm. maybe we don't really think too much of him as a manager itself because when you look at the ninety two ninety three season, it's it's a disaster really because I think only only eight wins in the league the whole season. Only two away victories the whole season in the league, and those were against relegated teams. I think tenth overall and three points from being relegated. The first season since seventy eight seventy nine in which Lazio finished above us. Um, the top goal scorer was Giannini with nine. So you read all these things and you see how how bad that kind of season was, and then going into ninety three ninety four. Mazzoni comes in and finishes seventh. Um, like, how much would you put that down to him, or would you put it more down to Franco Sensi coming in as the owner? Um, because to me, it seemed like it's quite a, a stabilized. You know, maybe Mazzoni or Sensi stabilizes the situation a lot. And although in ninety three ninety four we have um, many draws, I think fifteen in the league. Uh, so that's basically half the games. Uh, you don't have that many losses either, you know, and it, it seems that at least there, there was quite a, a step up. Um, but I don't know how much you would put that down to Mazzone or, or to Sensi or or a mixture, I don't know. Well, it's definitely, um, to a certain extent, Franco Sensi, because he stabilised the whole club, because 92-93 was such a turbulent season, both on the pitch and off the pitch. Um, and there wasn't, like, big mega investment in the transfer market in 1993. I mean, obviously, he had stabilised the club financially, Franco Sensi, and he did buy Abel Balbo, which was probably the biggest transfer in Serie A that summer. And, um, uh, but I think that, that what you say there is interesting because Carlo Mazzoni was known for being, uh, as well as obviously Roman himself and a Roma fan, he was known for being quite a pragmatic and cautious coach. So the fact that we drew so many games, uh, and that would have been the last season where there was two points for a win, if I'm not mistaken, 93-4. So, you know, the rewards yeah. for winning weren't as big as opposed to drawing, weren't as big as mm. they were from, from the season afterwards to, to today. So um, I think that was, yeah, to a certain extent, that, was, that reflected perhaps Carlo Mazzoni's approach, yes. Do you see his reign at Roma to be sort of a, a good rebuilding after a torrid start to the 90s? What was it? 7th, 5th, 5th. 96-97 may have been a bit of a different story uh, with Carlos Bianchi coming in. But do you see it was a, a good rebuilding after a torrid start to the 90s, the, the reign of Mazzoni? Yes, I, that, that's how I look at it. Things stabilised in that. So there was a real downturn in the first third, if you like, of the 1990s. Then he came in and stabilised things. And then uh, apart from that dip in 96-7, which was a catastrophic season, then we had the upswing towards the end of that decade that culminated in the uh, Scudetto and the first appearance in the Champions League in the early years of the following decade under Fabio Capello. So yes, definitely he was... Uh, that, that period I regard as like a stabilising period where... The club found its kind of historical position, if you like, just behind the big, the really big, powerful clubs in Italy in the table. Um, of course, there was no 
top four go to the Champions League in those days. Mm. So, um, so, uh, uh, can I, I just want to ask maybe how much of that team that Mazzone had towards the end there was part of the Scudetto team? Very few. I mean, things started to change quite a bit after that when, oh, well, there were one or two players. Yeah. Yeah. Because, um, Matt's only, we managed to buy Marco Del Vecchio from Inter in, uh, that was uh, January, that was the January transfer window. I think that was in 1996, I think he came, mm, Del Vecchio. Mm. So he was obviously featured in that uh, Scudetto winning team. And then... Uh, was, it the was it Vincent Candela was also brought in, maybe a bit later? That was a bit was later, in... yeah. That, I think that yeah. was... Uh, that was in... Uh, was that Bianchi? Yeah, it was maybe Bianchi's last side. Right. Yeah. Okay. The reason I the reason so, I asked is because it seems that um it seems the Scudetto winning team seems to form a bit more under um Bianchi, I think. Mm. Yes, and that's right. It seems Mazzone kind of was almost managing the end of an era or managing a maybe a, what was before a bit of a chaotic period. And it, yeah, I saw some similarities with Fonseca in that Fonseca kind of did these two seasons with us now in which um, he kind of worked on not much. Um, I'm not Okay, Mazzoni had maybe relatively more resources, I don't know, with the squad, but Fonseca didn't work with much. He stabilized things for a bit. But now it seems also that the team that Fonseca had will not be at all what Mourinho will probably have in going into the next seasons, you know, that the team is going to change over quite a lot, you know. So he kind of seemed quite a trans... Tron- transitory period in the club's history, you know, in which they were just trying to manage it as best they can. Um, yeah, I mean, there, I there was investment, but you're right. It was, um, I think that the, the several of the players were leaving, the squad was changing. Giannini himself went through a difficult period uh, and ended up uh, leaving. And um, I remember, you know, the, the, the general consensus after each transfer market during Carlo Mazzoni's um, reign was um, that the players who left were replaced by better players. Generally, that was the feeling. And um, so the team got stronger during that. Although, as I said, there, there weren't so many um, players who, who were there, still there when the Scudetto was won under Fabio Capello. Um, the, the team was being strengthened, I think, from that period onwards, um, up until uh, the early 2000s. So, um, yeah, I, I would say Carlo Mazzoni's, I would say more than it was the end of an, a period, that, that leak period of the, in the early 90s, it was more the um, beginning of, like, a brighter era. You know, that's how it, that's how it felt at the time. And, uh, and of course, this was still an era where games, Serie A games were not shown live on public television, uh, on television in Italy. So crowds were huge. You know, Rome used to average 50 to 60,000 attendances at the Olympico. So, um, so it still had, you know, many, uh, many great things about it. And of course, the football was very high quality because Serie A was uh, so great in those days. So, um, but yeah, if people are looking for like uh, a trajectory, the trajectory from Carlo Mazzoni, certainly after his first season, was was going upwards. 
Do you think his best season was even 94, 95 or 95, 96? I only asked that because, because <clears throat> Abel Balbo, because he was a top goal scorer with 22 goals in one of the seasons. And then next season was 14. So that's eight pre, uh, eight less than his previous season. So they got like 94, 95. He was top goal scorer. Um, they got to the quarterfinals of the Coppa Italia and finished fifth. Um, we finished fifth on, bear with me, with 59 points and qualified for the UEFA Cup. This is the first season with three points per game. Um, <clears throat> Juventus won the league with 73 points. Lazio finished second with 63 points. I say that quietly. And Parma, Parma won the big teams in the 90s in Serie A where they were one of the, the, the top three teams to do well in, in, in Serie A and in Europe, especially with the UEFA Cup and the Cup Winners' Cup. Uh, and then Milan, Roma and Inter finished four, fifth and six. But if you go back to 95-96, um, they, they finished fifth again. But Abba Balbo scored 14 goals. They got to the second round of the Coppa Italia and the quarter finals of the UEFA Cup. Um, they finished on 58 points from 34 games. Um, uh, Milan won the league with 73 points. Juventus finished 65. The top two got into the Champions League. Lazio finished third um, uh, uh, on the same points as Fiorentina on fourth and 59. And Roman Palmer finished in fifth and sixth with 58. So it was like a quite a competitive like running for Europe, but do you see that which was the stronger? Do you think ninety four ninety five was stronger? Or was the second season where they got further in Europe, but didn't really bridge the gap to probably third or fourth in? Actually, there's only one point. So they, do you reckon that the second season was probably stronger for under Matsone? So that was his third season, because of course. The third season, my apologies, yeah. 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 So um so I think I think ninety four ninety five was the better season. Mm-hmm. And I tell you for a while, although we didn't play in Europe that season, so it was just the two you know, the domestic competitions, um, it was a season where we played some really wonderful football with Balbo and Fonseca and and certainly early in that season, we were all dreaming of the Scudetto because we started really well. I think it was our best start in years to a season. And um, and in 95-96, I think the squad was stronger because we brought in Luigi Di Biagio from uh, Zed McZemmons Foggia and uh, Marco Branca from Inter. We still obviously we didn't sell anyone, so uh, we had a stronger team. But um, and of course we did have the UEFA Cup games. But the, the the big letdown that season was the UEFA Cup quarter final where we played Slavia Prague. We were quite big favourites and we lost two 0 in the away leg in Prague, and then played one of the legendary home games in Europe at the Olympico where we Janini uh, made a return and we we uh, were, we won the game two 0 which meant extra time. And then we scored uh, uh, Francesco Moriero, who had joined us in 1994 in Cagliari, one of, uh, I think, Mattoni's former pupils. Um, he uh, scored the third goal, made it 3-0 in extra time, and then we conceded a very late goal. So it finished 3-1 and we lost on the away goal rule. And that was a crushing disappointment because should really have gone through there. And uh, so I would say that the team was probably stronger in 95-6, but 
my memories are better of 94, 95. And I think that was probably Carlo Mazzoni's high point, finishing, you know, taking us to the, what then seemed the dizzying heights of uh, fifth place, which was the finish, I think, in 94, 95. And also, if you remember, he then uh, was let go in 1996. So I think the Franco Sensi's opinion was that he hadn't, you know, had taken the club as far as he could. And it was time for, you know, uh, someone else to... Because if you look, to, if you look back at um, Carlo Mazzoni's career, it was generally coaching more modest clubs. Roma, I think, was by far the biggest club he coached. You know, he coached teams like Cagliari, uh, Brescia, those kind of teams. So I think, yeah, I think looking back, 90, uh, 90, 94, 95 was the season with him, under him that we played our best football under him and was probably the more memorable season. I actually watched highlights of that UEFA Cup game earlier on my lunch and it's quite, you could see, it, it was entertaining and great goals and then you could just see the Olympico deflated after Slavia Prague scored that goal right near the end and you just see everything was just, deflated because didn't Roma put all their eggs in the basket for the UEFA Cup that season which was won by Bayern Munich it was yes that's right and I think I'm writing saying Pavel Nedved did he play for oh good question I will have a look for Slavia Prague I think he might have done if my memory serves me right but yeah I mean it was a huge letdown particularly uh, when we recovered to uh, take the title extra time and, um, and uh, yeah, if anyone gets the chance to watch the highlights of that game, they'll... Uh, uh, Please do. It's, it's entertaining and it's very, it's very good. Yeah. And there was an unfortunate slip by Aldair, just, um, who, of course, was such a great defender, world-class player, just before, just at the moment, when Slavia Prague uh, were preparing, the shot came in for their, third, for their first goal on the night, third goal on aggregate. But he probably would have intercepted had he not slipped so it was a really unfortunate um, uh, and in fact that goal was quite interesting because Giovanni Ciavone who came to Roma from Verona in 1989 as our goalkeeper and was our goalkeeper all the way through to 96-97 although he sort of replaced that that season he uh, although he never played for Italy he um, often like didn't dive you know if he couldn't save it he didn't move and if you look at that uh, that goal, he's standing there, you know, just rooted to the spot, watching as the ball flew into the, just inside the far post. So uh, it's it. it was, it's a memory that uh, I think many Roma fans who remember the, those games around those years have of Giovanni Giovanni, in that he, he often, uh, if he couldn't make a save, he just stood still. <laughs> uh, I just looked at, never played for the ever the other Prague club, which is Sparta Prague. Ah, it was Sparta Prague. Yeah, Sparta and Slavia Prague. Um, I've got one more question uh, about, because we were going to stop, I think we were going to stop the 95-96 season. Um, Giuseppe Giannini, how much of a cult hero was he at Roma in the 90s? And how did you see the end on the wall coming up when after he missed the penalty in the derby? I think it was the 90. 
93-94 season, where I think Senti said something in the press about him missing a penalty. Do you see the writing was on the wall for him and then the transition from him to Totti? Yes, he was criticised by Sensi uh, for missing that penalty kick. And uh, yes, I, I mean, Giuseppe Giannini would always be my big hero as a Roma fan because he was uh, part of the reason I became a Roma fan. And he, um, he, yeah, he, I think it was, you know, he'd been at the club so many years by this point. And I think it was, you know, it reached a point where it was seen that it was better for him and the club that they parted ways. So I do think it was, yes. And also I remember, particularly in 1995, 96, when Luigi Di Biagio arrived, who came and we very much felt he would, you know, be really squeezed for playing time. And in fact, he, he got quite a bit of playing time and he sort of succeeded Giannini in that midfield playmaker role for about four seasons. So, and of course, he, he became an established Italy international, played at the World Cup in 98 and Euro 2000. Mm-hmm. So, um, and was a Roman himself, you know, so... Um, so, uh, yeah, I think, yes, I think, and I think Janini's performances were also uh, beginning to fade because Janini left the Azuri also quite relatively early. You know, he, by 1992, I think he'd already, uh, when he was only 28, he'd already left the Azuri scene. So he'd fallen out of the Azuri scene from being, you know, one of the mainstays of the team that reached the semifinals of Euro 88 and the World Cup in 1990. Um, and by 1992, he was really out of the picture, as far as the Azuri were concerned. So I think, um, you know, it was a kind of... So he had quite a relatively early decline, you know. But, uh, yeah, I think it. What, yeah, I think the feeling was that, as he was making fewer and fewer appearances, that, um, uh, you know, his departure was going to come sooner rather than later. I asked this because on the on the video we I shared on the WhatsApp group there was um he asked to be taken out of the squad in the ninety five ninety six season, I think it was in January nineteen ninety six and asked not to be played and Carlo Mazzoni rejected it. Do you think that was the right thing to do? Uh I, I it's difficult to answer that question to me. It's a good question, but it's difficult to I mean he was still obviously very, very popular. Mm. and uh, immensely popular and uh, he um, but as I say the team was evolving as well he was by now 31 he was a class of 64 so um, I think um, yeah it was a strange request to make wasn't it I mean uh, must have felt really uh, like uh, demotivated you know at the time and of course he, he then left that following the summer so difficult to say, really. Yeah, it's because I only asked that because it's the, on that video he just requested to to, le- to just be left out. I think because then he went to Sturm Graz, yeah, then but... Napoli, and then I think he ended his career at, at Lecce, and just uh, he returned to Italy after homesickness after a season in Austria, and just he goes down as a Roma cult hero. And as you said, he, uh, the dude James, he's I think he was the reason why you became a Roma fan. Yeah, definitely. He, yeah, he's definitely always been my biggest Roma hero. Not That's necessarily what... my favourite player, but although I did like him a lot, he was really mm. talented and uh, 
very creative player and um, technical player. But um, uh, and of course, anyone who remembers the 1990 World Cup will remember him very much. You know, scoring uh, scoring uh, goals and uh, and playing great for Italy. And um, but uh, yeah, not necessarily my favourite player, but certainly my biggest hero. Yeah. Nickname the Prince. That's right, the Prince. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, that's all I really wanted to ask. I think we've come to the end. Daniel, do you have anything further to ask about the seasons that we've talked about so far in the mid nineties, the early to mid nineties? No, I think just thanks to James for uh, yeah for coloring in some of the history there. We've we've got some very good seasons coming up, and I think. Something I really want to talk about, Zanik Zeman. <laughs> Zemanlandia. Yeah, that yeah. could be quite interesting to talk about. And also the doping scandal, which he voiced his concerns over. And there is there is some videos out there of a, a certain ex-Palmer captain and Ballon d'Or winner. You can have a look on that on YouTube of him getting some uh, a, a drip done. But yeah, um, James, thank you very much for feeding the nostalgia to me and daniel this evening it's been an absolute pleasure thank you i think we come up with this idea uh, talking about roma in the 90s uh, as a off the cuff moment off when we've done the 2004 2005 um i think that's comes to the end of the first part of roma in the 90s um you can follow us at lemagicast.com. You can find all our previous podcasts on the platform, on the website. You can find us on all the podcast platforms on Spotify, Podbean, TuneIn, Apple Podcasts, etc., etc. Um, James, Daniel, thank you very much for joining me on this Thursday evening. This, today has just been a fountain of nostalgia from you, James, and me and Daniel have taken it all in. And I hope you didn't mind us all, like both of us jumping in, asking all these questions from all the past. Thanks. No, it's been an absolute pleasure. And just thank you very much for joining me. Um, we At some point, we will we'll record the second part of this. I think it's a very interesting topic. It's a decade of where Roma had their ups and downs. And the second half of the decade um, probably planted the seeds of Roma winning the Scudetto in 2001. Um, once again, thank you for both for joining me. And uh, we will talk about current day Roma, hopefully next week when Serie A returns after the March international break. Roma are away at Sampdoria on Sunday evenings and hopefully we'll have a pod out Monday. And that will be uh, that will come into the busy period where Roma have five games in the next 15 days. So thank you very much for joining us on a, on a Roma retro where we've gone down memory lane. And uh, for Saroma and Chow.